Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll put it on the screens for you. In the sixth month, that is uh, of Elizabeth's the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All of this language would have sounded very, very familiar to Mary. She would have been very aware of all of the Abrahamic covenant blessings, the Davidic covenant promise of this king, Messiah, who would come, who would reign forever. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called bearing. Key verse for us today. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to talk today about the God of the impossible. We're going to look at three things in this passage. Um, three things that are really important insights or revelations that we need to have to understand uh, how it is that we can experience God's supernatural power in our lives. We need to understand the greatness of God's power, the necessity of our faith, and the partnership of our confession. Right, we'll talk about those three things as we get into this message. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Father, we do thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for this moment. We thank you that Mary was willing. She believed. She submitted to you. She was willing to receive in her virgin womb the eternal Son of God. Father, I'm just mindful of angels who marvel at that fact. That you love us so much that you would come in the flesh. Lord, would you open our eyes to see the significance of that. Father, would you help us to understand you more as the God with whom all things are possible. Father, open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Christmas has had a much more scandalous beginning than we might realize. If you think it's hard for you to tell your friends about Jesus being supernaturally conceived in the womb of a virgin, imagine what it would have been like for Mary after this happened. This angel shows up and tells her that she is going to have a son. And not through the normal way of getting pregnant. And so Mary has this challenge in the way that God said it was going to happen. This challenge of believing something and submitting herself to something that in her own mind, even before this, would have seemed impossible. Everyone knows there's only one way to get pregnant. If a man's unmarried daughter comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, what is the first thing that he's going to say? Who is he? I'm going to kill him. I want to know who this man is. And imagine the moment that Mary tells her father that she is pregnant. What do you think his thought was? Where is Joseph? He couldn't keep his hands off of my daughter. I'm going to kill him. And so there's this entire story here that could have been told behind the story uh, of what we just read of Mary and Joseph's journey of having to communicate to everyone in the community what was going on and having to bear the reproach of the community who misunderstood what was really going on. Because what she was probably saying, or who even knows how she was communicating, was she just copying it? Did she have conversations with her father? I mean, imagine Mary's father's response when she says that I didn't sleep with Joseph. An angel visited me and said that I was going to be pre become pregnant and God caused me to supernaturally become pregnant. Uh, Mary, that has never in the history of humanity ever happened before. That's impossible. And yet the key phrase in this passage, and especially for us today, is that nothing will be impossible with God. And one of the key messages of Christmas, one of the things that we need to really grasp in this season, is that if you add anything, if, if you add God to any situation, it doesn't matter how bleak, how difficult, how challenging, anything is possible. And there's more riding on this reality and accepting this than we probably realize. In fact, one of the greatest problems that we face in life is the challenge that we have uh, when it comes to what are we going to believe and what are we going to not believe. It's our belief or unbelief in what is actually possible and the limitations that we might put upon ourselves and we might perceive. What we consider to be possible will shape our view of ourselves and what we think that we can accomplish with our own lives. What we think is possible is going to limit us or empower us 
when it comes to what we accomplish with our lives. I remember back in 2013, we had moved back to the States. We originally came to Australia in 2003, moved back in 2011. And two years later, we felt that God was calling us to come back to Australia. I felt, we felt we had this clear word from God. It, it's, it, we thought we were going back to the States for good, but God was saying, I want you to go back. And I remember talking to, telling one of my pastors this, someone who had a very significant influence in my life in the past, and, I mean, and we were broke, completely broke. Like it was the toughest two years financially we'd ever had. One of the toughest. And I tell, I'm telling my pastor friend what, uh, how much it's going to cost to move the family back. And I can't remember exactly what he said to me, but what I heard and basically what he said was, mate, that's impossible. When God called us to, by the way, within about 12 weeks, we had raised over $25,000 to move our family back. Because when God speaks and faith is in the heart, all things are possible. When God called us to move to Perth here, to uh, plant this church two years ago, before we could say yes to that call from God, there had to be a belief, a conviction that it's possible. That we can actually go there and succeed. That God will be with us. That we can go and we will not fail. Because if there had been this perception or thought that I don't think we can do that or I don't know if God's going to come through, do you think we would have put our hand up? Do you think we would have said yes? No one will ever attempt anything in their lives unless they first believe it's possible. One of the greatest goals and crucial things of being a parent is to impart to our children vision and belief for what's possible in the future. Why was, let's, let's think back to how even Jesus ministered this. Why was Peter able to walk on water? Why did Peter have this perspective that it's possible for me to walk on water? Because he just saw Jesus walking on water. His view, his idea of what is possible was lifted and he said, God, if that Jesus, if, if that's you, then call me to come to you and I will. And Jesus said, come. And he walks on water. Why? Because all of a sudden he saw Jesus do it and it became possible in his mind. What we consider to be possible will determine how we respond to bad news. Who's gotten some bad news in their life? If we're crushed and depressed when bad news comes, then we have most likely a low view of what is possible. If, however, we have a high view of what's possible with God, when difficulty challenge comes, there's going to be something rise up in us and say, no, 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 it can actually be better than it is right now. It can be different. I remember back in... When we moved back to, to Australia, there was no real ministry opportunity at the time, uh, at least to be paid, and so I started a business. God opened the door uh, to start a, a consulting business, and I did that for seven years. And towards the end of those seven years, the marketing channel started to dry up. It started to get really, really difficult. It started to get really challenging. And I remember thinking, Man, I can see the end of the runway here. There's not a whole lot of money in the bank. Um, 
the bad news was coming, like I've got to, you know, the, 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 the doors are closing, and I've got to try to figure out how I'm going to provide for my family. The wise thing to do is let's just go get a nine-to-five job. Let's settle into something that is, is reliable, right? That's, I can, that's guaranteed that I, I know is going to be there. And so I'm like, uh, all right, I've got whatever I need to do. I know you're going to provide for me. You've never let me down. And then I go to this, this worship night at, at Numa in Melbourne, and I'm worshiping Jesus. There's this prophetic guy there. And then I'm looking for the, for the prophetic word about God's provision for a new job. And this prophet walks by, and he just stops, and he lays his hands on me and says, you're, you're going to be tempted to get a 9-to-5 job. Don't do it. Stay the course in your business. And I'm like, that's the stupidest prophecy I've ever got in my life. I don't want to hear that. Because that was not the comfortable path. But sometimes God will put us in situations where only a miracle is going to save us. Because he's, called, he's wanting to cultivate something inside of us. One of Jesus' primary messages was that all things are possible for those who believe. And he modeled that with his own life. Do you know that Jesus did miracles not primarily as the Son of God who had divine power? Remember, he had, he had laid that to the side, Philippians 2. He had emptied himself of his divine power. And he, uh, he did miracles filled with the Holy Spirit by faith as a man. And so he demonstrated this love for people and his power by healing the sick. He demonstrated his authority by casting out demons. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. All these things that everybody previously thought were impossible, they're all of a sudden, here's this man that's doing them. He controlled the weather. Pretty impossible, right? But here he is. All these things previously seen as impossible, but Jesus is showing all things are possible with God. One of our seven kingdom culture values in our church is that miracles are normal. That it's our conviction that miracles should not be the abnormal. That we are cultivating a faith and a, and a belief. We are looking to lift our expectation of what is possible. Miracles should be normal when all things are possible with God. When all things are possible for those who believe. Been seeing some miracles recently. Sophie, uh, Sophie and my daughter went to Melbourne and had hand, hands laid on her, was healed of eczema, completely gone, miraculously, just like that. Um, Cherie Rice, who we all know, Pastor Cherie, our global evangelism pillar, she uh, was healed of anaphylaxis. So she's had a ridiculous number of near-death experiences from eating food. Like the list of things that she has been allergic to in the past is, it's got to be, had to have been the most annoying thing. And even when we would go to restaurants with her, it's like super vigilant. And the EpiPens are always there. Like we're talking times being multiple, multiple, jabbed multiple times. And she has hands laid upon her, instantly, miraculously healed, goes to the doctors, they do blood tests, and the doctors are like, uh, we don't really know what's happened, 
the blood, your blood is completely different than it was before, but just to be safe, don't go eat anything that you were allergic to before. All right, because we can't explain the blood work, but this doesn't happen, this is impossible. Um, so uh, just be very, very careful. She actually went and the next week and accidentally ordered something that had sesame seeds in it and ate it and had no allergic reaction. Woo! Miraculously, supernaturally healed. But when bad news comes, we can be sure nothing is impossible with God. And then probably the most important, what we consider to be possible will even impact our eternity. What eternity looks for us, looks like for us. Whether we will receive salvation and have eternal life. Completely dependent upon what you're willing to believe is possible. Remember what Paul says. If you confess that with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The, the beginning, the starting point of a relationship with God is the belief, the acknowledgement that this thing that would seem impossible to the natural mind is possible with God. That God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's the starting point. And that He ascended to heaven where He is now at the right hand of God. And so I confess Him as my Lord. Can you begin to see how critical it is that we understand the supernatural power of God? How critical it is that we understand that all things are possible with God. That nothing is impossible with God. And so this being true, one of the primary goals that God has in our lives is to lift our expectation of what is possible. To remove the limitations that we place upon our lives in this life and our experiences by our belief in what is impossible. God wants to deliver us today from certain mindsets. And so as we dive into these three points, as I mentioned before, can we just now even invite the Holy Spirit to begin to rewire us? Anybody open to a rewiring from the Holy Spirit? Just begin to pray even. Just talk to the Holy Spirit right now. He's the teacher. He's here. His presence is here. Just begin to speak to Him. Holy Spirit, will you, will you begin to reveal what you're calling me to believe? Holy Spirit, will you remove from my thinking previous limitations as I've declared things or lived in a way to believe that certain things are impossible? Father, have your way. The first thing that we've got to understand to grow in a understanding of the supernatural power of God is the greatness of God's power. And so here's our statement. Miracles are only impossible if we fail to understand who God is and what He has promised. We can see Mary in this story being where, where Gabriel beginning to shift her own mindset. In their conversation, who does he refer to? He begins to refer to her cousin Elizabeth, who had been uh, who, is, who had been barren her whole life and had now reached menopause beyond the, the age of having children. 
and saying she is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. He's saying, I know what I've just said to you is impossible, seems impossible, uh, but let me just share with you a story of something else supernatural that has happened and God has done. And so stating this in a positive way, the, the, the miraculous is only possible when we understand that there is a God, that He is all-powerful, and that He has made promises to us. Karis asked me for some new shoes this week. Yeah. And there were two things that needed to be established before Karis could have confidence that she was going to get some new shoes. Number one, does Dad have the, the power to get me some new shoes? In other words, is there any extra cash in the bank? Does he have some money to give me some new shoes? And then second, is he willing to spend that money on me and my new shoes? We actually did go look for some shoes, but they were all out of her size, but we ordered them online. Come on. Before we can receive from God, we've got to settle those two things in our heart, in our mind. Is God able and is he willing? I'm going to get a little bit philosophical on you here, but bear with me. The atheist believes that miracles are impossible because in his mind, of course, or her mind, there is no God. And so philosophers have said it this way, that the foundation of what an atheist believes about the world is that the, the cosmos exists as a uniformity of cause and effect in a closed system. The system is closed, no one or nothing can reach into it, everything that happens is only a result of cause and effect. And if you want to change the effect, then you have to introduce a different cause. So cause leads to sickness in someone's body, if you want to do anything about the sickness, there is no outside power that can reach into this system. It's completely closed. And so we're going to have to, by our own human power, because that's the only power there is, introduce some kind of um, human new cause to bring about a different effect. In other words, it's in the hands of the doctors, the professionals. That's your only hope. About 200 years ago, there were some thinkers after the Enlightenment who were called deists. Now, deists actually believed in a god, but they lived more like an atheist because in their mindset and what they believed, God created the world. He's all-powerful. He created everything that we see. And there are these natural laws, cause and effect. But God then created the world, set it into motion, and then he went off somewhere else. He's way far away. He doesn't, he's not involved. And so, very similarly, the deist, to the, as the atheist believes, that he, the, the deist wouldn't say that the cosmos just exists, but God created the cosmos as a uniformity of cause and effect in the closed system. So, the system is closed. No power can reach in because God's far away.
It's not enough to believe in an all-powerful God. It's not enough to believe that God is out there somewhere and He has power. We've also got to believe that He is near, that He is with us. By the way, this is another primary message of Christmas. Remember how Matthew tells the story of, the, the, of Christmas when he quotes uh, Isaiah chapter 9. What does he refer to God as? Well, God, what, what name does he use for God? He says his name is Emmanuel, who is God with us. But if we're not careful as Christians, we can begin to live more like deists. We live like, yeah, God is there, but is he really going to reach into my world is the system actually open? Will God reach into it and, and shift the, the cause and effect world that we live in? And so Christians, here, here's, here's the philosophical angle. We believe God created the cosmos as a uniformity of cause and effect. So there is cause and effect in the world, but with an open system. Yet God created the world. He set things into motion. There is also the law of sin and death that is at work. But the system is not closed. The system is open. God can reach into this world and change it. And so believing in the miraculous is actually one of the most rational things that we can believe. It's not irrational at all. It's only the question of is the system that God created closed, or is it open? Jesus clearly demonstrated for us that He is not just the Creator. God doesn't just create, but He sustains. He's with us. He, he, he reaches into, there's something that provokes Him to reach into this world and begin to shift and change things. God injects His power into situations and causes outcomes, effects, that are completely not related to the cause, but related to a cause of His power coming into an open system. And so this leads us to the next thing that we have to understand. It's not just enough to believe that God is all-powerful and that He is present and that He has promises, but there's the necessity of our faith. God's miracles nearly always require that someone believe. Faith is what gives us access to the power of God. Mary conceived in her virgin womb because she submitted her body to God and believed what the angel said to her. She believed. And in this story, Luke gives us a very interesting contrast between Mary's faith, who had a in her visitation from Gabriel, and another man's response to a visitation from the same, the same angel. Do you know who else got a visit from Gabriel? Zechariah did. Zechariah was Elizabeth's uh, husband. And so Zechariah, who was uh, in the temple... And um, he has this encounter with Gabriel. And he begins to speak to him about what's about to happen. And he begins to speak to him about something that he would have thought to the natural mind would be impossible. He says, 
Uh, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth, I know she's old, I know her womb has been barren, but she's going to become pregnant and you are going to have a son. Now what's interesting, the question that Zechariah asked uh, in response was very different to the question that Mary asked. Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How can I know this? In other words, all right, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really believe you. Do something to prove it to me. Because when I look at my body, and I look at Elizabeth's body, it ain't going to happen. Prove it. How can I know this? How do we know he didn't believe? Because later in the passage, um, Gabriel responds, he says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and, un and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, what's interesting about this is even though Zechariah didn't believe, the words were still fulfilled probably because of Elizabeth's faith and not Zechariah's faith. But interestingly, God was still merciful and took Zechariah on a little journey of experiencing a season of holy silence as God was preparing his heart to father John the Baptist. Unbelief can make life harder. Sometimes God will still bring about his promise, but uh, he may have to take us through some unnecessary challenges to cultivate the faith that's going to be required to lift off the limits and lay hold of the promise that God has for us. But contrast this response from Zechariah with Mary's response. She too asked a question, but a completely different question. It wasn't the question, how shall I know this? But instead, basically her question was this, how are you going to do it? She already accepted that it was done. How are you going to do it? So Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I believe you, but how? Like, is there anything that I need to do here? Do I need to play any part in this? And the angel begins to speak of how it was going to happen supernaturally. That just through her faith, she was almost like a, she, she was a passive recipient. It's such a beautiful picture of how the promises of God come about in our life. Of how we, we receive before we actually receive. Before there's any, there was a moment where she would have, been, where Jesus would have been conceived in her womb and she had nothing more than a promise. No actual sign, no certainty in the natural. It was only by faith that she's almost passively, not passively by faith, but passively in terms of her participation in actually doing something, receiving God's promise. Throughout the New Testament, we see God's miraculous power directed towards those who have faith. There's some amazing stories in the Bible. You get a picture of how 
crucial faith was. Like there's this one moment Jesus is on the shore. Just standing there by a boat. He gets out of the boat. He's standing there. Crowds of people all around. And you imagine the need that would have been there. People hearing about the miracles. The, the, the sick being healed. And, and people coming from all over to get theirs. And you get the picture from this passage. Jesus isn't saying anything. He's just standing there. Just, they're just hanging out. Nobody's getting healed. Nothing's happening. But a crowd full of need. And here comes this one man. His name is Jairus. He's busting through the crowd. Excuse me. Pardon me. Coming through. He comes up to Jesus. It says he falls down on his feet. Falls down at Jesus' feet. You can see Jairus, who is um, the, the leader of a temple he, or a synagogue. He falls down at Jesus' feet. And he says, Jesus, my daughter is sick, but you're going to come lay your hands on her, and she's going to be healed. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And he walks off from a crowd of need to go with one man in that moment who has faith, who's laying hold of something from Jesus. Jesus, you're coming with me. My daughter's sick. You're going to lay your hands on her. She's going to be healed. And it's this, this amazing picture of how we, we often wish that God would just respond to my needs. God, you know what I need. Why are you putting me through this? But has there been a response of faith in the heart to lay hold? Now, there was only one other person who got healed out of that group on the way to Jairus' house. It was the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And what did she do? She's like... This diving jump, it's like she, she's saying, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She dives, she jumps, she touches him, and Jesus stops. He's like, what just, who's touching me? I just felt power come out of me. His disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Power come, people touching you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's crowded around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, 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 somebody touched me with faith. I felt something leave me. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was completely passive in that moment? That power left Jesus because of this woman who laid hold of it. It's incredible. And what did Jesus say? He turns to her and he doesn't say, woman, the power of God has healed you. He says, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Your faith has made you well. And so then there's this other moment. They keep walking to Jairus' house. And they get it, they, they're on their way there, and these people come from Jairus' house and say, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Just leave him alone. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. It's impossible now for it to be fixed. But did, did, did Jesus submit to a worldview that, that, that it's impossible? No. What did he turn to Jairus and say in that moment? He said, this was crucial. And it was crucial for Jairus because there was one thing that had brought Jesus with Jairus to that point. It was Jairus' faith. And if Jairus stopped believing in that moment, Jesus would have been essentially powerless on Jairus' behalf. And Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Jairus, do not be afraid. Keep believing. Keep believing. And so Jairus had to keep believing. And apparently Jairus says, all right, Jesus, let's go. And they go, and Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Something seemingly impossible is possible because here is a person of faith. 
One of the challenges is, is sometimes that we, I think we, we think that we have faith when in fact what we might have is a mental assent. We might believe in our head. Remember, Paul says that it's with our heart, Romans 10, it's with our heart that we believe. It's one thing to mentally acknowledge that the Bible says something. That can be a mental assent. Mental assent is not enough to lay hold of God's supernatural power. There is a faith in the heart that comes, how? By hearing. By hearing the word as we meditate, as we hear God speak, faith comes in the heart. Which begins to point to the reality that there is, it's impossible to access the power of God and leave, live a supernatural life unless the word of God is constantly, daily coming into our hearts. Every single day. Every day, every day. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. How often? Day and night. That you might be careful to do all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have success. Then you will live a supernatural life. Living as if anything is possible. Because there will be a faith in your heart. An expectation lifted. A belief that all things are possible with God. It comes as we meditate. So we can't think and expect God to move repeatedly on our behalf. There may be moments of God's mercy in our life, His goodness, somebody with a gift of healing lays their hands on us, we're healed, whatever. But there is another level of supernatural power God wants to lead us into as we cultivate faith in our heart through daily meditating on the Word. It is not enough to, to have a little time, maybe every other day or, or every couple of days, or just coming and being spoon-fed the Bible on a Sunday. That is not going to lead us into a supernatural life. There has to be a relationship with Jesus through His Word that, that, that brings us to these, this place before Him where we, we can hear Him speak. Faith comes as we hear Jesus speak to us. There's one other thing we've got, got to understand. It's something that, that is crucial and seems to be integral in living this seemingly impossible life. It's the partnership of our confession. Faith is released as we declare back to God our trust in His promises. God wants to partner with us through our agreement with what He has spoken, and through that our agreement, through through that agreement, our submission to Him and to His will. And so another way to say, say that is that the evidence of our faith will be seen in our prayer and our confession. What are the words coming out of our mouths? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the Word of God is in our heart, if faith is in our heart, then it's going to come bursting out. How does it come out of our heart? It flows out through the mouth. What is it that we are declaring? The greatest indication of what you actually believe is the words that you speak. It's true for all of us. If we catch ourselves saying something that sounds like it doesn't align with the God with whom all things are possible, 
then it's a good indication for us if I need to cultivate some faith in my heart. That's in unbelief. I need to repent. I need to begin to cultivate something greater than that. We can see this in Luke 1, our passage, verse 38. Mary says, he res she responds. She has a confession. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I love how she begins with a confession of her identity. So important. How we see ourselves. I am the servant of the Lord. In other words, I'm submitting fully to you. Let it be to me according to your word. That's a good thing to declare. God, let it be to me according to your word. I see this promise. Let it be to me according to what your word says right here. And that was all the angel needed to hear. The angel departed from her. Faith sounds like something. And so if we want God's power in our lives, we have to be aware of the fruit of our lips. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I think one of the greatest, most profound, I guess supernatural moments for me in my early journey of, in ministry was when Olivia and I, I think I've told this story before, but Olivia and I were recently married. We were, had scheduled a trip back to the UK to visit her family. Um, her, her grandmother wasn't well and I hadn't met any of the family. We had, well, I'd only met some of the family. I hadn't met the rest of the family. We got married. Some of them weren't able to come over to the States for our wedding. And, but we had applied for Olivia's permanent residency in the United States. And once you do that, you can't leave the country without a special uh, travel permit. So we set our trip about 12, 13 weeks out from... Uh, from this time, and we had about, it took like 12 weeks to get this travel permit, so we're like, yeah, we'll have enough time. So we applied for this travel permit, and uh, we just wait, booked our tickets, all that. And it gets close to the time of our trip, and our travel permit doesn't come. And we had this conviction in our hearts that God gave us a, a peace, and this, there was a certainty in our hearts, this is this, this seems right and to us, to, seems right to us and the Holy Spirit to go on this trip. We need to see your family. Grandmother's not well. We felt like we had a peace from God. This was the right time and that God would provide. We prayed and asked Him to provide this travel permit for us at the time. But we're getting down close to our trip and it was like a week, a week and a half out and we're like, okay, well, we got to start figuring something out here. This, we haven't heard anything from the immigration office about this travel permit and, and it's not looking so good. So we, uh, we had a friend who was a, uh, one of these like, news readers, you know, on TV, like a, a journalist. And she was out covering a story of a tornado. And uh, she had been talking to Olivia about our planned trip and happened to see in, in our dilemma and trying to figure out what we're going to do. We leave in a week and we've got to get this travel permit. And she, uh, she runs into the, the, the senator of the state covering this tornado story. And she says, hey, and this is really kind of her, but hey, I've got this friend, and she's having some immigration trouble. She wants to go to the UK. Can you help her? 
And he said, sure, give me her name and phone number and I'll have my people sort it out. So um, she reports back to Olivia that she's talked to the senator. He's going to try to help. I'm like, this is awesome. So they're going to try to help. So, so something's happening here. God's going to come through. Long story short, we talked to this guy, and, and he's calling every day with the immigration office, and he's calling me back and saying, I'm having a really hard time. It's not working out so well. Like, keep going. Uh, just, you know, keep calling them. And, and anyway, we get to, like, the Thursday. We're traveling on the Monday. We get to the Thursday that week, and the mail doesn't run on the Saturday or Sunday. We're leaving early Monday morning. We have to have this travel permit by Friday, and now it's Thursday. And, and the guy, Mark, calls us and he says, he says, I'm sorry, I've done everything that I can possibly do. Um, I know your trip's on Monday, but they've told me there's no possible way you're going to get this in time. There's too much of a backlog. It just isn't going to happen. And it was, we, we hang up the phone, and in that moment it was like, what are we going to do? Like, we have this choice. We felt like this conviction, we're supposed to go on this trip to the UK, and we booked the trips, we prayed, we asked, we received. God's this travel permit, um, there was a conviction in our hearts, and now here's this guy who's talking to them, a direct line, saying, sorry, it's impossible. It's not going to happen, completely impossible. So we had this choice, and we're like sitting there deliberating, and it was like, we're going to keep believing. All things are possible. We pray, we ask, we're not going to give up now. So we prayed together, we said, Father... We asked you for this travel permit in time for our trip on Monday. We can't delay the trip. We'll lose the tickets. You, we, you promised. We asked. And then there was this moment of confession. In Jesus' name, we will be on this flight with a travel permit on Monday. It's going to happen. And he's praying. It's like, all right, what do we do now? <laughs> I'm driving into Vanderbilt University. I was doing a Bible study with some uni students. And I'm on the way there, and I had this idea drop in my spirit. Call Mark back and tell him to try one more time, but this time tell him that her grandmother's sick, and if we don't go back, she might, this time she could die, and this will be the last time that we see her. I'm like, all right, well, I pick up the phone, I call him back. And he's like, seriously, when I call him, he's like, dude, did I not just tell you that this is done, that this is impossible? Why are you still bugging me? So I call him and I say, listen, I know, I know I'm really being a pest, but can you just call one more time? Can you just put in the call and just tell him this, tell him her grandmother is sick, and if we don't go back on this trip, she may never see her again. It's like, all right. Yes, I'll call him back one more time. Call him back. So I get into the Bible study, and I'm just about to start this Bible study. And I'm like, fellas, i got to keep my ringer on because I might get a phone call from the senator, senator's office. And I explain the whole story. And I'm like, I'm telling the whole story. Like, this seems impossible, but we're believing, and we're standing on the word. And So anyway, the phone rings, and it's Mark, the guy from the senator's office. And he says... You will never believe this. I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe I will. <laughs> he says, I've just called them, and I, I do not know why they've done it, but when I told them the story of your grandmother, or her grandmother, they said, okay, well, if you can call us back in five minutes with credit card details, we will overnight at FedEx 
to uh, their house so they can have it Friday and be on the plane Monday. Come on, gave them the credit card details. Win, I mean, that was the happiest phone call I ever made to my wife in my life. It was, that was, a, it was such a sweet, beautiful moment of just facing this impossibility, something that was impossible. In this moment like Jairus, and I love how God takes us through little journeys like this, of seemingly insignificant things, important to us and important to God, taking us on this journey of learning that there is a moment where it's going to feel like giving up, where everything's going to tell you it's impossible, but you got to keep believing. Jesus is right there saying, don't be afraid, keep believing. Don't be afraid, keep believing. And the evidence of our faith is the confession out of our mouth. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.